The views expressed on this program are solely those of the speaker and do not reflect the views and opinions of Centennial Securities. Be reminded that this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Happy Friday! Welcome to the Weekly Investment Podcast, where we discuss the week's must-know investment news and how it affects your money. I am your host, Walter. With interest rates at a 22-year high, investments paying a fixed rate of return are back in focus. This week, I'm very excited for our interview with bond trader Mike Ochoa. Mike started in the bond market in the 1980s and has seen just about everything that could happen regarding interest rates, inflation, and market volatility. Mike recommended bonds for purchase or sale for insurance companies with investment portfolios in excess of $1 billion, the goal being to maximize their total return while reducing volatility. Mike is a past president and board member of the Bond Club of Chicago. Currently, Mike is an investment advisor who works with both individuals and institutions. In this episode, you will hear terms used that are specific to bonds. Some terms relate to how long it takes a bond to mature, like short-term, meaning in less than five years, intermediate-term, meaning between five and ten years, and long-term, meaning over ten years. You will also hear the term yield, which usually coincides with the interest that a bond pays, but could also include any appreciation in a bond. Finally, bonds are priced based on their par value. Par is 100 cents on the dollar, and a bond trading below par is said to be at a discount, while a bond trading above par is said to be trading at a premium. All bonds mature at their par value. Okay, Let's crack right into the interview. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thank you, and thank you for being on The Whip. It's nice to have you on. Thanks. Pleasure to be on. How would you describe your investment philosophy? I think investors have to first figure out what their objectives and goals are. And once you arrive at what your long-term objectives and goals are with the money that you have to invest, then you got to figure out the best balance of assets and types of assets in which to help you achieve those goals. The difference between investing in equities and growth vehicles, or if you're more about preserving your capital, then it would be more income-oriented investments. And then once you match your objectives with what you think you need to invest in to achieve that, you have to make sure that you're comfortable with the volatility because no matter what you invest in, if you're not comfortable with the volatility that may come with that investment, then it's not a good investment for you. It's important to be comfortable. Uh, It's important to try to reach your objectives, but those two things can't conflict with each other. I like to scuba dive, and in scuba diving, you have a saying, and it is that you plan your dive, and then you dive your plan. So I think once you come up with your objectives and goals, and then you set your allocations, then you can make a plan on how to invest 
and then you have to stay within that plan over a long term. Don't react to the whims of the markets going up or down or what the flavor of the day is. So resist trends, stay with your objectives, and be realistic about your ability to accept volatility, and I think you can be successful long term. I love the story about scuba diving and the message of staying with your plan. How important is diversification in planning an investment strategy? The whole 24-hour news syndrome that we have now makes you think that every little nuance and every move today is of earth-shaking importance and will last for a long time, and that's really not the case. Uh, You have to take a long-term approach to investing, and I tell people all the time, if if you don't want to invest for a three- to five-year time period going forward or not comfortable with doing that, then you really should probably keep your money in very short-term investments. The key to success or to reducing volatility is to diversify your portfolio. And diversity comes in a lot of different ways. If you're invested in mainly equities, diversity would mean that you would be in different industries, different types of stocks. Tesla, for instance, is an equity. It's a stock. But Johnson & Johnson is also a stock. Two very different companies. Their objectives for their shareholders are very different. So you can't put them in the same category. And on the income side, where I would say that would be my forte, you need a diversity in the maturity of the assets that you own and also the type of assets in the industry. So diversity is hugely important. And anybody who does investing for the long term will tell you it's probably the most important factor of it's not what you buy within a sector, it's that you have all different sectors represented in your portfolio. I'm glad that you brought up diversification on the fixed income or bond side of the portfolio, given your expertise in that area. Could you talk a little bit about how to achieve diversification on the bond side of the portfolio? When you arrive with your objectives, you have to have some time horizons out there. The objectives of a 40-year-old person is a lot different than somebody who is 65 and about to retire. So your objectives uh, will tell you what types of things you can go into. And then in order to diversify within that, you need a diversity in the maturities. For instance, if you're going to buy a corporate bond or any type of taxable bond, be a corporate bond, a, a government bond, a government agency bond, you have a lot of different maturities. You can buy a bond that's not due for 50 years, or you could buy a bond that's due for one year. Much like when you go to a bank and you buy a CD, you can buy a six-month CD, you could buy a five- or ten-year CD. So I think you need to build what we would call a ladder of maturities that would serve the purpose to meet your objectives. And then amongst that ladder, and I'll explain that more in a little bit, but within that ladder of maturities and the type of bonds that you own to fill those steps on the ladder, um, you should use different types of bonds. Don't buy all government bonds. Don't buy all corporate finance bonds or bank bonds. You want to have different industries represented within your portfolio. So bonds are offered by most publicly traded companies, and that would be insurance companies, manufacturing companies, utilities, banks. A lot of industrial companies have finance arms. So you could buy a bond from Ford Motor Company, or you could buy a bond from Ford Motor Credit. So you want a lot of different names in there, just like you do in your equity portfolio. You know, the old adage of don't put all your eggs in one basket, that's true. And that means different names, 
different maturities, and you'll have a safety built into your portfolio. If I'm hearing you correctly, diversification in bonds can be broken down by the companies that issue the debt, diversification by maturity, or when the bonds come due and the investor receives their principal investment back. Clearly, alignment of the maturities to the investor's goal and alignment of income that the bonds create with the income needs of the client is important. Now, one way to measure risk in bonds is through credit ratings. The major credit rating agencies, Moody's and S&P, assign grades to bonds based on the credit worthiness of the underlying company. Why do credit ratings matter? I would always try to stay in the investment grade ratings and above. Investment grade is anything we call the six Bs, triple B minus or triple B on both Moody's and S&P side. That's not to say that from time to time I don't dip my toe in and buy a high yield bond, which is also called a junk bond. And junk is kind of a misnomer because there's a lot of good junk bonds or high yield bonds that are worthy of investment. But if you're going to go down in, in quality, you should always only do that with a low percentage of your portfolio. I try to stay at no more than 5% in any one name. The bigger the portfolio, sometimes you can go down to 2.5%. So to give you an example, if somebody was going to give me $100,000 to buy a bond portfolio. It's hard to buy bonds in five bond lots. You can do it, but it's hard to find a lot of names to do that. So I might buy between five and $10,000 bond increments for that portfolio. And then I would try to find 10 different names to be in that portfolio. And some of those may actually be a, a government bond. On the short end of the curve right now, treasury bills and treasury notes offer a great yield for the risk associated with them. Going back two years ago, it was unthinkable to think that a two-year treasury could yield you a 4.89% when the 30-year treasury was barely getting you even a 2%. So yields have come up a lot, and that also changes on what you're able to buy because you always try to get the best yield associated with the risk at the time of purchase. You mentioned the yield curve or the relationship between the percent of interest earned on a bond and its maturity length. Normally, you would expect more return for a longer maturity investment. We are seeing a phenomenon now called the inverted yield curve, where short-term bonds pay more interest than long-term bonds, all else being equal. Why should an investor consider intermediate or long-term bonds when short-term ones pay the best rates right now? It is tough to go out long on the yield curve right now because you feel like you're not really getting a justified yield for the risk you're taking. So, that, Walter, that's absolutely true. Hard to do, but I think it goes back to the point of diversification where if I was to buy nothing but very short-term bond obligations right now, I would get a, a short-term high from it because I would receive the best yields probably possible to get. I'll give you an example. Six-month U.S. Treasury bill right now is yielding a 5.478 is your yield to maturity. But if I go out another six months, I only earn a 5.373. Then I guess I should put all my money in the six-month bond. But what happens six months from now if interest rates, the environment has changed and we've uninverted and now I have all this money coming back to me all at once. I think it's a good time for us to talk about a bond ladder. 
because this goes to a basis of, of how we try to build in a bond portfolio or an income fixed income portfolio and also lessen the volatility of that. A bond ladder is, if you think of the rungs of a ladder, think of them as the years of maturity that you would try to fit. So if I had a 10-foot ladder, it would have 10 rungs on it. If I match it to my bond portfolio, that would mean that I would have a bond portfolio that would have a maturity coming due once a year for the next 10 years. If I have a longer time horizon, I could build that so that each of my rungs would be every two years. And then I go out and try to buy bonds that fit those maturities or those rungs, if you will. And what this does is it takes out the need to invest a huge portion of your portfolio once the portfolio is built at any one time. So in effect, you're almost like dollar cost averaging into the bond market going forward. It takes time to implement, and it's not something you do all at once. You fill your maturities or the rungs of the ladder where you can best achieve the highest yields at that point. And then as interest rate environment changes, then you're able to go out and buy other rungs. One year ago, it was hard to go out and buy five, six, seven-year paper because the yields on those corporate bonds were horrible. Now we're able to go out and find ourselves over 5% on those same maturities. So if somebody had given me some money to invest a year ago, I would have said, okay, we're going to slowly bleed the money into the market, dollar cost average, if you will, and we'll try to buy the maturities that that offers the best yields at this time. And over a period of time, we will build the bond ladder. Then in subsequent years, five years from now, if I have a 10-year bond ladder, um, that would mean that 10% of my money would come due that year. Then I only need to invest 10% of my money, and I would then go out and buy the farthest maturity on my ladder to fill in. And if interest rates are up, great. But if interest rates are lower, I'm not harmed too much in my overall portfolio yield. So you're trying to build a, a yield for your portfolio that will give you the income you need and match your objectives. I'm glad that you brought up the concept of a bond ladder because I feel that strategy is something we do very well. Most retail investors invest in bonds through a bond fund or a basket of bonds in an ETF or mutual fund. What benefits does a bond ladder have over a bond fund? Well, an actual bond ladder, you have fixed maturities so that on a certain date in the future, you know how much money you have maturing and how much money is going to come back to you. So, for instance, uh, a bond I think uh, we own in our portfolios is a bond by Selenice. It's a, uh, I believe it's a 618 coupon uh, due in 2025. And that bond in 2025, if I buy 10 bonds, I know that I pay $10,000 for the bonds and I will be receiving $10,000 back in March of 15th of 2025. Now, if I go into a bond fund or a bond ETF, you buy at a certain share price today, but that share price can vary. It can move up and down. And if interest rates happen to go up as I own this during that time period, my share price will decline. I was looking today at a uh, one of the largest bond funds. It's an intermediate bond fund, mutual fund. The Fed in the last year has raised interest rates by 525 basis points, or five and a quarter percent, which is drastic and quicker and higher, faster than they ever have before. This particular bond fund, which is, I think, one of the three largest bond funds in America, lost 
3.61% of its net asset value. So it it has a dividend rate of about 3%. So my income went up only slightly as interest rates went increased, but I lost over 3.5% of my actual value of my holding. In a bond, while the price of my bond may vary during my length of owning it, at maturity, I will receive par value or $1,000 per unit. I feel that if I am trying to tamp down on the overall total volatility of a portfolio and and my net result over time, I'm better by holding an actual bond rather than an instrument and where I'm not really sure what my underlying net asset value will be. So it's just a way to take out some of the volatility, also take out some of the worry for people. Say a lot of people get rollouts from their 401k. They want to have a certain amount of income from it. If you went into a bond fund, you may have an erosion of your actual net asset value or your equity. In a bond, while they may fluctuate while you own them, when they mature, you get your dollar back dollar for dollar as long as you're buying it around par or at a slight discount. So I feel as if it takes a lot of guesswork out of what the future will bring. And also in a bond ladder, it's also a great instrument if somebody is from a 401k or uh, retirement funds, uh, is investing money at one point, they could even set the maturities out so that every year they know that one bond is going to mature and that's their income. So, if somebody gets a $200,000 rollout from their 401k and they did a bond ladder and bought 10 maturities at $20,000 in each maturity, they would know as that money matured that they had $20,000 there that they could withdraw and that could be their income for the year uh, from that portion of their savings. So it's a great way to, uh, to plan out your cash flow in the future and also decrease the volatility of the asset that you're investing, which makes people sleep better at night. To summarize in a word, a bond ladder allows for greater control. Control over how much money matures each year. Control over the income a ladder generates over one year in its lifetime. And also better control over the volatility of the underlying bonds. Is that fair? That's absolutely fair. I would agree with you 100%. I remember I had a client of mine who was retiring and his goal was always to go on an African safari with his family. And he knew that it was going to be about five to 10 years after his retirement that he was going to do it. So as he got close to his retirement, he started to put some money away towards it. And at the time, government securities offered great returns. So we, in fact, would just keep on adding to that treasury bond holding that he had so that it came due the year he was going to go on this trip with his family. Now, if he had bought a bond fund, he wouldn't have known exactly what the net asset value of that was going to be. Mind you, a bond fund is paying the income while you're holding it, but so is your bond. Bonds have different ways of paying your interest. Some some pay monthly, but most, most of it's quarterly or semi-annual. So you got to remember that when I buy that bond that's due 10 years from now, I'm getting income from it for the entire 10 years. So I'm getting utility out of the investment. And if I'm not going to be using that income, I don't have an immediate need for it, it can always be reinvested. So your bond portfolio can grow. It can throw off a lot of income so that you end up having to buy bonds to fill your ladder out further along while you hold your bonds, not just while they mature. 
So definitely control. You can target exactly when you, if, if and when you know you're going to need money. An investor close to retirement or in retirement may need income from their portfolio to meet their goals, like supplementing lifestyle, for example. Why not buy bonds that maximize income or the interest they pay? It just comes from wanting safety in my investments. High-yield bonds do offer the best yield right now because there's more risk associated with it. So you always got to be cognizant of the risk associated with the investment that you have. I had a portfolio manager that I worked with for a long, long time. He told me that more money has been lost reaching for yield than at the end of the gun. And I thought about it, and he was right. When people reach for results, it's when you have catastrophically bad results long-term in investing. New ideas are always generated, and some new ideas are great. But just because it's a great idea doesn't mean that you have to go all in. And investing, going all in all the time, will not give you the best results because it's very rarely that somebody can be right all the time. And by buying a bond ladder or diversifying, you're you're lessening the chance of making a bad decision being catastrophic to your financial future. And you can't allow that to happen. You can't allow to have one thing in your portfolio, if it doesn't work out, blow you up. I just want to point out one thing to you about the income that you, you were talking about, people trying to generate income. When you go ahead and do a bond ladder, you know we have the ability to then tell you to the penny what your income is going to be on that portfolio or that sector of your portfolio going forward for the entire time that you hold it. That's not true with a bond fund because their dividends can go up and down. The same bond fund I was talking about that had an erosion of, of NAV of 3.61%, their dividend rate growth for the last three years was a negative 8.94%. So that meant if I went into it three years ago and said, okay, I'm getting this amount of income from it, I've, I've lost a percentage of that income for every year that I've been in that fund. That's another great example, something that a bond ladder gives you. It gives you an assurity of what your income level is going to be. And that's what I mean about reducing volatility in a portfolio. You want a, you want a portfolio that is going to, you, you know what it's going to give you when you put your money on the line. And I think that's important, especially in the more conservative portion of your portfolio, which is the income sector. Great explanation on why reaching for yield may not be the best way to reach an investor's goals. You briefly mentioned the interest rate environment last year. With over 40 years of experience trading bonds, that means you've seen a lot of different interest rate cycles. How was last year different? And what moves should investors make with inflation remaining sticky? We went through a long period of time before last year where the conservative portion of your portfolio didn't really add a whole lot to your total return of your entire portfolio because interest rates were so low. And that hurt a lot of uh, seniors or people trying to exist on fixed income. And a lot of them were pushed into the market or pushed into other vehicles in order to give them a better yield. Some of them suffered some in some of the downturns of the market. And that that's that's unfortunate. The Fed 
because of the pandemic and a lot of different factors, had pushed interest rate down interest rates down so much to prop up the economy that we were we were in a territory that we'd never been in beforehand. And when they had a reverse course, I don't look going forward that the Fed is going to be moving near as much as they have in the last year, because this is unprecedented. And I honestly think that they we may have one more interest rate hike in store for this year, probably not more than one, and that interest rates will probably be held here or in this general vicinity over the next year, year and a half. They've done a great job in us avoiding a recession, and a lot of people didn't think they could do it. But the strength of the overall economy and the basic free market system proves itself out over time. So although you have gyrations and interest rates, I think a person has to understand that over the long stretch of time, uh, you come to a medium and that our economic system actually works. It's hard sometimes to keep in mind when the market is down a lot, but you need to keep invested. You need to keep to your plan. And if you diversify, you can stay in your plan with reasonable comfort. If you had gone with a bond ladder 10 years ago, when interest rates went down low, you would not have been hurt as much because you would have had some things locked in at much higher interest rates. Now we're getting a chance to fill fill the wheelbarrow up a little bit more now with some things that are giving us interest, a higher rate of interest than anything we would have bought over the last year or two. So trends are exactly what they're called. They're called trends. They're not the state of being forever. We, we've talked a lot about bonds. It, it's it's also important to note that when we're building a person's portfolio, everybody needs some growth in their portfolio. It's rare that you have meet somebody who has so much money that they say, I don't want to lose a dime. All I care is about earning interest on my money. There are those people. But most people who have that much money understand that some risk is not a bad thing. And also, bonds over long term, have their value is eroded by the cost of living. And so as the cost of living goes up, as inflation goes up, it eats away at the value of the bonds. That's why you always need some type of growth within a portfolio in order to offset the effects of inflation on your overall portfolio. And the stock market is and equity investments is where you can expect to get that growth. Don't underestimate the need for some growth in your portfolio. That's an important point, that one potential complement to a well-structured bond portfolio is an element of growth or stock investment. You mentioned the Fed, and we're speaking shortly after the Fed raised interest rates to the highest level in 22 years. While I agree that consistency and sticking to the plan is of vital importance, with rates at a 22-year high, what advice would you give to a bond investor? For example, a client has a bond ladder and that earliest rung matures, bringing cash into the portfolio. Where would you look to invest those proceeds? I guess I would take a look at what their holdings are, and I would try to fill any gaps that they have within the holdings. If there were gaps shorter in in maturities, uh, I would fill them. But if all the shorter maturities on, on their ladder are filled, I would fill that are out longer. I've been at this a long time, and I've been in inverted yield curves beforehand. 
and I've seen that. And I, I remember back when interest rates were much, much higher than this. And at the time, you could buy short-term treasuries at 13 14%. And everybody clamored to buy that. Uh, at the time, the Treasury realized that they didn't really want to have 13% maturities out there. So they actually put out some treasuries that had call features in it so that you, you weren't going to hold them all the way to maturity. A call feature is the ability for the issuer of the debt to refinance your debt, much like somebody refinances their house. But everybody went and bought that short-term treasury to get a higher rate because they're like, well, why would I want to buy a 10-year treasury or a 30-year treasury that's yielding me 9.5%? Well, then when interest rates turned around and all of a sudden short-term rates were now below 5%, that person who went out and bought the longer maturity at 9.5%, held on to that maturity. And he got the benefit of that yield for a much longer term. So although it doesn't always look like the best thing to do to go out farther and buy something that's going to yield you less today, historically, that's actually proven to be the right thing to do with an inverted yield curve. Now, we're inverted more than we ever have been, and we're coming through a weird interest cycle that's unlike any other. So maybe not every rule is true. So maybe I wouldn't run out and buy a 30-year but I don't hesitate to buy something in the 7 to 10-year range if, in fact, that portion of a portfolio needs to get filled. I just take care to find out what's the best yield I can get from that. It's not going to be a U.S. government security. It's probably going to be a corporate bond. So what company do I feel comfortable owning their debt and knowing that they're going to give me my money back 10 years from now? There's a lot of good companies out there you can find that I don't mind holding their debt for that long. Mike, this has been a wonderful conversation on diversification in a portfolio, the benefits of a bond ladder versus a bond fund, and the current interest rate environment. What haven't we talked about that you would like to? I don't know, Walter. We've covered a lot of territory and made it probably sound easier than it is. Investing is hard work, and nothing comes easily, uh, and nothing comes quickly. So I would just tell people that the most important thing that they are doing in investing is really looking and analyzing what their long-term objectives are and goals. It all starts with that. And then from there is your rate of savings. Your savings rate is what will give you financial freedom. And the earlier you start to save, the earlier you are putting money away for your retirement and what you want to do in old age, the better. Because the compounding effect of money, the effect is staggering. And if you're able to start out of college or out of trade school or when you start, whatever job you start, if they have a 401k, max out your 401k. Put as much money as you can in. I know sometimes it's hard to do, but the government isn't taxing you on that. And the long-term rate you'll receive on your money investing in the markets will give you the financial freedom in that sense of freedom will give you a better quality of life. So save, quantify your goals and objectives, plan, and then work the plan, and you'll be successful. And I know that sounds easy, but all those things are really hard to do. But I don't think anything comes for free, and anything worth having is uh, is worth working hard for. I think those wise words are a great place to conclude our conversation. Thank you again for being on The Whip. Please consider coming back on the pod when interest rates are much lower. Maybe we could discuss how an investor generates income and protects principal in that environment. How does that sound? Absolutely. I'd welcome the opportunity, Walter. Have a great day. Thank you. You too, Mike. Next week, we discuss the fallout from Apple and Amazon earnings.
Join us next Friday for that and much, much more. Thank you for listening, and please have a nice weekend when you get there. Talk to you next week. Thank <laughs> you.